Well, we have finally entered into uh, this, arrived at the last Sunday of Epiphany. Did you even know we were still in the season of Epiphany? It, it starts right after Christmas in January and runs right up until we begin Lent on Wednesday. And so all of our readings this time of the year in Epiphany are centered around finding those little bits of light in the world that remind us that God is with us, Emmanuel. Little by little, the light has been being revealed this season until today, this Transfiguration Sunday, when Jesus is revealed in all his glory, shining so bright that we can hardly even take it in. His face shone and his clothes, we're told, became dazzling white that day. This event of the transfiguration appears in all three Gospels of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I love Mark's translation because it says that suddenly Jesus' clothes appeared whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Take that, Clorox. I didn't even know that was a word back then, but apparently the ancient uh, scripture writers knew a thing or two about scrubbing out stubborn stains. And when you think about it, really scrubbing out those sort of dingy old parts of ourselves to better resemble the shining glory of God is really what being a disciple is all about. Now, I know there are a lot of people who think that we are already born dazzling white, that we come into this world perfect because we're made in the image and likeness of God. I get that. But for today, let's just say that maybe there are some people out there who, despite God's blessing and true desire to see us flourish, are not. Let's just say maybe that for whatever reason, they've lost their way. Maybe they've even done, as the ancient writers spoke about so frequently, turned away from God and done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, let's just say that maybe some of us need to change some behaviors, some anger, some jealousy, some resentment, you name it. Let's say that maybe the messiness of the world has taken a toll on a few of us and we're in need of being transformed. Well, if that's the case, it turns out that mountaintops are a pretty good place to do that. And if you're a flatlander, don't worry, because the mountains that we're talking about really are metaphorical, even though we're sorry that you don't have the views that we do right outside our windows, wherever you might be. But it turns out um, that today I want us to think about mountaintop experiences. You're seeing a, a picture here right now that our friend Rosie sent me yesterday when she saw that we were going to be talking about mountaintops. She just happened to snap this while she was up at the Big Burn in Snowmass. It's one of our favorite places. You guys have probably been there. Everybody stops to snap a photo. That's the glory of the mountains that we get to live and play in. And think about the ways that you describe mountaintop experiences sometimes. We say things like, oh, that ski run was heavenly. That trail was divine. The view from the top of that was glorious. I was awestruck. 
I felt so close to God, we say. We look at that unobstructed night sky that we're so lucky to see here with no light pollution and stars that are too numerous to be counted. And we can't help but know that there's something greater out there than us. But it's not just the way that we talk about mountains. It's what we do in the mountains, or more accurately, what the mountains do to us. We use the mountains to test ourselves, to see what we're really made of, to prove that we can do something that we never thought possible for ourselves, to push through pain. We use the mountains to clear our heads and just go have fun. We use the mountains also to remind ourselves that we are interconnected, that we share a little bit of that same DNA with the creator of the universe who made all things and all people. In the mountains, we learn how to be strong and resilient. We even engineer experiences so that we can have the experience of testing our mettle in the wild. Think about this. We in Aspen send all of our eighth grade students out for a solo night in the woods all by themselves. Like literally every parent and teacher just decided one year that this was a good idea. They take all the kids out, thought, well, what better way to kind of introduce them, launch them into adulthood than by putting on a 40-pound pack and sending them out for a night with a tarp and a string and hoping that something doesn't launch out of the woods to attack them. Like literally people are clamming for this experience. It's kind of funny. Everyone's trying to get into the Aspen School District so they can have the eighth grade outdoor ed experience exaggerating a little bit that they're all clamoring to get in, but it is quite well known around these parts. We just carpool our kids up to the mountain one day, kiss them goodbye, hand them a Snickers bar, and hope for the best. It's an incredible experience, but why? Why do we do that? Because we believe that transformation will happen there. But the transfiguration is the kind of thing that only a select few will ever get to witness. To be transfigured is a total transformation of the physical form into something of beauty, dazzling. That's what the disciples witnessed in Jesus. I've heard of mystics and saints throughout history living lives of absolute piety and devotion to God, spending hours and hours in meditation and prayer and fasting, all in the hopes of just glimpsing something like what the disciples saw. And some of us ordinary folk like you and I might be blessed with uh, a miracle or a vision or we know someone who has, there's a, a particular longing, I think, that we have as human beings to have these close encounters with God. It's really what makes what Peter, James, and John saw that day so inspiring and intriguing to us. Now, when they saw what happened, this transfiguration before them, they wanted to build a place of worship right then and there. Let us make three dwellings, Peter said, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
It was that magnificent to behold that, that Peter wanted to build something that could contain all that holiness. But we can't contain the holiness of God. It can't be contained like a bottle of bleach. And also disciples can't stay on mountaintops forever. Discipleship involves following, which means going on even when we don't want to. Faithfulness is not achieved by freezing these moments in time that we wish would never end, but in continuing the journey, trusting that God is leading us to something greater than what we've already experienced. So when I think about the disciples that day, I'm just moved by the whole journey. I can see Peter and James and John walking up that mountain with Jesus and the fellowship and the camaraderie that they must have experienced that day, getting to know each other a little better, talking, laughing, maybe some times of just solitude, quietly hiking, freedom, intimacy among friends. Most scholars hold that the transfiguration happened on top of Mount Tabor, which is just near the Sea of Galilee. And I don't imagine that it was a terribly long or arduous hike. Mount Tabor's about 1,800 feet, all told. Maybe it's kind of like a hike that we might do on our lunch hour up the yin-yang, or a hike up to Elk Camp or over on Sunnyside. I like to imagine that I could have been right there with them hiking that day. But no matter how steep the climb is or isn't, the journey up, the ascent itself, is the hard part. But it also has its own rewards, accomplishment, friendship, trust. Just thinking about this present moment and the next right step to take. That's all that's required on the journey up. Sometimes it can feel like just one step in front of the other. Unless, of course, your you know, particular climb requires some extra gear for you. But at the top, oh my goodness, those views. From the vantage point of the mountaintop, we can see what lies behind us and what lies still in front of us. We see endless possibilities of routes that we can choose, roads less traveled, roads more traveled. We can see where things might get a little tricky to navigate as we move forward. When my kids were little, we used to have this hill that was right across the street from us. We called it a mountain, of course, because it always is a mountain to a toddler, but Bee Hill was right across our street, and we used to climb to the top of it, and because from there, we could take a look down at the town below us and down at our whole neighborhood and right down into our yard, which was right across the street. And from there, we could see things we'd never even noticed before. You know, you could see trees that needed to be pruned. You could see an errant frisbee on top of the garage. You could see the asymmetrical way that the tulips were planted. 
getting out of the particularity of our space and time, the things that we see day in and day out, and then getting close to God allows us to see things in a whole new light and to notice things that we might otherwise ignore or might go unseen. So I want to tell you a quick story, which many of you may remember from the book of Exodus. Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to receive from God the covenant for the Israelite people. And when he returns to camp with the tablets, these stone tablets, as you recall, the Israelites had already grown so impatient that they had abandoned God by this point. They had started creating, as you might recall, a golden calf. And they were dancing around and worshiping the golden calf. Moses said they were running wild. And Moses could hardly believe his eyes. He was furious at their impatience and their impertinence, their desire to give up so quickly. But still, Moses goes to God. He goes back up that mountain, and he begs for God's forgiveness on behalf of the people. He says, God, I know this is a stiff-necked people. Those are the words he used. But please, please forgive them, Moses said. And please, God, please stay with us. Do not take your presence from us, Moses asks. And then an interesting thing happens when Moses descended back down that mountain with a new set of tablets because he was so mad he'd broken the first set. His face shone so brightly that at first the people were afraid, and he put a veil on to hide the dazzling face. And then it happened every single time from then on. Whenever Moses would go to a place to encounter God, whether on top of a mountain, wherever he went, he would come back with this dazzling face shining so brightly that he would have to veil it again. Moses' dazzling white face confirmed for them that he had indeed been in the presence of God, that his plea had been answered, that God had stayed with the people. Even though the nation had abandoned God, God had not abandoned them. And they could see evidence of that on Moses' face. They would see that shining face and know that God was with them. So likewise, when Peter, James, and John encounter Christ transfigured and dazzling white on that mountaintop, they know they're in the presence of God. It helps, too, that God's voice came to them from the cloud and said to them, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. It's interesting, isn't it, that what God wants most for the disciples in that moment is just one thing, to listen to Jesus. You see, we don't go to the mountain to be transformed. We go to the mountain to be in the presence of the one who will guide our next steps on the journey of discipleship. We go to seek and find and listen to Jesus. That ultimately is what will transform us. 
not the mountain itself, but the journey of following Jesus day in and day out. So, what's your mountaintop? Where do you go where you can stop long enough to feel the presence of God and listen to the words of Jesus that will make a real difference in your life? Where do you find the divine light of Jesus shining so brightly that you just want to linger there a little longer? Is it in prayer? Is it in silent retreats? Mountain climbing? Is it in service to others? Is it in music? Liturgy? Communion? Baptism? Is it in meditation? laughter. I have a friend who delivers babies for a living, and I think, gosh, what would it be like to get to glimpse that miracle every single day? Wherever it is that you experience that divine light, get there often and stay there as long as you can, because that is where the potential for human transformation takes root. And where there is even just the possibility of transformation, there is hope. Which means that these mountaintop experiences we have, metaphorical or otherwise, are really moments of hope for you and I. Hope is the ability to imagine a better way. If you sense that something really special has just occurred, as the disciples no doubt did that day, with Jesus and in almost every one of their interactions with him, then you could probably also feel hope lurking nearby. If something could be this good, this joyful, this filled with peace and meaning, then maybe, just maybe, I could carry that energy with me into other areas of my life, areas of my life where I've experienced doubt or despair or uncertainty. That is the view from the mountaintop. That's the perspective that you need to see in order to see a new way set before you. That hope is transformation taking root in you. These moments of God that transcend our ordinary lives can sustain us through dark times. They can remind us what's possible and give us hope to move forward. Because in the end, we can only linger and take in the views from up there so long. Sooner or later, we're going to need a sweater or a sandwich or a Snickers bar, and we know that it's time to move on. We ascend the mountain to encounter God, who says to us just one thing, listen. Listen to what Jesus is telling you. Pay attention. Something is happening here. And then we descend the mountain to follow. So as we move now in the days ahead into the dark, soul-searching season of Lent, which begins on Wednesday, and we make our way in that season toward the cross with Christ 
and toward the resurrection. The story of the transfiguration of Christ serves as a reminder of hope in our dark times. God is with us on the journey. Amen. Let us pray.